When I was a kid, I went to a church that had some interesting rituals. When I would walk through the door of the church, hanging on the wall, just inside the door, was a small basin. And in that basin, there was water. And it was the practice of that church that when you walked in the door, you would dip your fingers into that water and you would make the sign of the crucifix and then enter into the house of God. To this day, I don't know why, I just know that's what we did. There is rituals and practices and traditions that people do when they go to church that they did it because that's what they were taught to do. They did it because it was the practice of the place. They did it because that's what you're supposed to do, but there's really no full understanding of why. For me, this story that I just, thank you, Rima, this story that I just read to the kids about the, the widow who went into the temple with her two coins and dropped them into the offering box, I don't see a, an explanation as I study of why those offering boxes are there. I can tell you that um, in the time of King Josiah, they actually set up a box in the temple to raise money for the renovations that were necessary because the temple had gone into ruin. And so they wanted to renovate it. And so they raised money by whenever somebody came into the temple, they would drop uh, coins into the box as an offering. Um, maybe that's how it got started. But by the time Jesus is walking on the earth, in this particular culture, in that particular setting, they had what what we understand were trumpet-shaped boxes. I can't even imagine that. I can't picture that. Um, just some kind of a... Well, the best way I can imagine it, and I hate it, is think about if you're in a mall or in a grocery store and they have this big yellow funnel-shaped thing and you drop your coin in the little slot at the top and it starts rolling down and then it spins and spins and spins and spins until it drops into the container at the bottom. It's a fun toy for children at the grocery store. But can you imagine if that was how the, the, the offerings were taken? If you couldn't just simply quietly slip an envelope into a quiet basket, but that actually every time you made your offering, people knew how many coins you were dropping and how heavy those coins were. And the lighter the coin, the least amount of money you're giving. I mean, it, literally, I don't know, maybe, you know, in our vernacular, maybe you drop the coin in the light and the sounds go off. Beep, 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 beep. And everybody goes, oh, they gave so much. We don't understand this. It's not, it's not found in the Levitical law. It's not found in the Mosaic law that we're supposed to do an offering as you walk into the worship space. But it, it had become part of their culture. And so, I mean, there was a requirement in the law that once a year, everyone gave so much money as, a, as, a, as a, a temple tax, if you will. But that's not what this was. This was just an offering. This is over and above their tithe, over and above any other offerings that were required. This was just a worship. I'm coming to, to worship God. I'm dropping some coins in the box. Imagine you're that widow. Everyone else is dropping their coins in. 
the trumpets are blaring, the lights are flashing, everybody's clapping, oh, look at how much they gave, oh, look at how much they gave. And here she walks in going, oh my God, is this, this is, it's nothing, it's not, it's nothing. And she drops it in and walks away. She thinks unnoticed. To the, for, for the rest of her life, she probably did not know that Jesus used her as an object lesson for his disciples. She would probably have been mortified because she was probably very humbled by the fact that she's walking around just giving these two tiny little coins. I mean, if you, if you do some study, which I've done, if you do some study, you find out that those tiny little coins, they were worth about a quarter of a penny in our culture. Um, they had no value. Um, they were, I think it was one, I think I read it was one sixty-fourth or one one-twenty-eighth, I can't remember which, I think it was one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. So now put that, put that into, into your vernacular. So say somebody makes, let's make it easy, $10 an hour. That means $80 a day. Now divide that by 64. So it's just a couple dollars. That's all she had. That's all she had. But she walked up and with a heart of worship and a heart of, I want to honor God. Or maybe she was just going through the motions. I don't know. Kind of strikes me that she wouldn't have been just going through the motions though. If she's giving all she had. But she walked, she wanted to worship and it was the practice. If you come into the church, she drops some money in the box. So she drops some money in the box. And Jesus then takes this and turns it into a, a literal, uh, a, a literal forever object lesson that God honored this person's giving. It honored her heart. And as I, as I, as I reflected on that, I, I was thinking about practices that I've gone through in my own life. I, I've been a Christian since 1975. So in my training as a Christian, I've been taught this is how we give. This is what we're supposed to do. Um, I was taught when I first came to faith that God expects me to give 10 cents out of every dollar to God. Well, I live in the United States of America where before I get my paycheck, Uncle Sam takes a portion of my money and the state in which I live, if there's an income tax in that state, takes a portion of my money. So then the question is, do I give 10% of my gross income before taxes or do I give 10% of my net income after taxes? And if I give 10% of my net income after taxes and then I get a refund from the federal government or the state in my income taxes at the end of the year, do I tithe on that? If I didn't, then I should. And... It, if I did, then I don't have to. Does it make sense? So if I tithe on the gross, it's already been tithed on, so if I get a refund, that's my money to spend however I see fit. This seems really uncomfortable to me. This nitpicking about how and what I should give or not give. Did you know that in the book, in, in, in the Mosaic Law, that if for some reason you had an emergency came up and you had to use what was supposed to be your tithe, that was okay, but you had to redeem it. Do you know what the redemption was? One fifth of its value. In other words, if young Bob Sugden at age 21 is married and has a young child and there's just not enough money for groceries, and so Bob goes to the grocery store using the, on Saturday night, using the money that he had planned to give in the tithe 
the next day at church, if he spends $100, then the next time he replaces that tithe at the church, it's $120 that he owes. Now, that's what the Bible says. And if you look in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, You're robbing me by not giving me the tithe. Test me, try me, see if not, if I won't pour out blessings from heaven on you if you give the tithe that you're required to give. But then I, 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 I hear people say in the Christian world, we're no longer under the Mosaic law. We don't have to do animal sacrifices anymore. We don't have to go to a specific spot to worship anymore. So if we don't have to do animal sacrifices, if we don't have to go to a specific spot to worship, then why do we have to follow the Mosaic law that says we have to give 10% of everything we own? Because either you follow the law or you don't follow the law. Right? This gets so convoluted and so frustrating. And then... If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let me read that one for you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is one of the verses that people use when it talks about giving and Christians and how we're supposed to. Paul says to the Corinthian church, verse 1 through 4. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you, whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Then if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9... He says in the very first uh, five verses, It seems superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which you boast about to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal is stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready... We would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. Now, let me explain what this is. What this is. The people of... There was a problem financially going on in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem were struggling I don't know that there was a famine, but there was definitely some hardship happening. And so Paul had mentioned it to the church of Corinth and some of the other churches in his missionary travels. And he said, we have brothers and sisters down in Jerusalem that are struggling. And these people started going, oh, we need to do something for them. Why don't we collect, uh, get an offering together and we'll send it by you, Paul, and you can take it to them in Jerusalem and we'll go ahead and, and, and that way we can help support them and, and it'll be good. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So we'll, we'll just, out of our abundance, we'll help them. So Paul said, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't we do this? I'll go and talk to some of the other churches. You guys collect the money and when I come back, I'll have the, just have the money ready for me and we'll go. 
So what he said in 1 Corinthians was, every Sunday when you gather together, just make sure that everyone who's going to give, gives. And put it into a pot, hold it until I get back. Then in 2 Corinthians he said, now guys, um, I've been promoting this all over all over the, the area. And all of these other churches are taking up offerings. And some of these people are giving sacrificially because I used you as an example because you said that you wanted to do this. I mean, you started this whole thing. So I'm going to send somebody ahead of me so that they can remind you of your commitment so that when we arrive with their money to join with your money so that we can then go to Jerusalem to bless our brothers and sisters who are struggling, none of us are looking stupid and none of us are embarrassed, especially you guys who started this whole project. See, that's what he's saying there. He was saying, you committed to a specific offering that will be carried to Jerusalem and I'm reminding you of it. He wasn't saying, this is what Christians do. Okay? But you will hear people say, we're supposed to give money every single week. And, this is the part that gets awkward for Pastor Bob as he's talking. You're supposed to support me financially. According to this. I shouldn't have to go and have a job outside. I'm supposed to be supported by the church. Now, Again, that goes all the way back to the time of the Mosaic Law. Because in the Mosaic Law, what happened was this. There were the tribes of Israel, the tribes of Jacob, and they all settled in the land. And one tribe, the Levites, didn't get any land. They were given some places to live amongst their brothers and sisters. But they weren't given any land that they could produce crops and raise animals and, and that kind of thing. And so what God said in the Mosaic Law was, you are to take one-tenth of your profit, of your growth, of your, of your food, uh, I mean, of your grain and of your animals, and you're to give it to your brothers and sisters, the Levites, so that they will have a way of supporting themselves. And they are supposed to take one-tenth of that and give it to the priests. So technically, scholars, you, you can read it in, in, in commentaries, scholars say technically the Jewish people were told to, to actually set aside 23%. If you calculate it all up with all of the different offerings that they were required to do over the course of a year, they were actually asked to give 23% of their annual income to the work of God. So if we're going to follow Old Mosaic Law, because that's what we do, every single one of you are about 15% behind every year for the last 40 years. So cough it up. <laughs> See? You're like, right. So the question then comes for me, if I'm trying to teach somebody who's trying to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ, what is my responsibility before God? When it comes to my money. How do I worship God and honor God with my finances? And I will tell you that Bob Subden, from the earliest days of my Christian walk, has never owned to a 10% tithe. I do not teach 10% tithing. 
And some of you are probably going, heresies, we're in the wrong church, he's teaching bad stuff. But the reality is, God did not ask in the New Testament for 10% of your income. What did God ask of you? What is the greatest commandment that Jesus held up? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. What is your strength? It's everything that you have. Not just your physical strength, it's everything. So the reality is, you're way behind in your giving. You owe us, the church, everything. And did you know that in the book of Acts, that's actually what happened? Remember in in the book of Acts, they all shared things. It says in Acts chapter 2, the church came together and they shared everything in common. And that's where in Acts chapter 5 and 6 and 7, they had to raise up the deacons because it was too much for the people who were trying to lead the church, to study the word of God, to pray over the church, to minister and to broadcast the word, and to wait tables to make sure that the, the widows and the orphans were being served and everyone was getting equal distribution of food. So they said, choose amongst you seven people who are full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, and people that you can trust of good character so that they can administer the day-to-day needs of the church. And if you go back to Acts chapter 5, I believe it is, you'll see the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who sold their property and brought the proceeds to the church, just like Barnabas did, just like many others did. So you see, giving in the New Testament is totally different from this idea of being required to give a specific percentage of your household income on a regular basis. So what I teach is you pray. You ask God the Father for wisdom. What is it that he expects of you? Because see, if you look in John chapter 4, the woman at the well who intersected with Jesus, she tried to get him to talk about, you know, well, we say you're supposed to worship here in, in this part of Samaria, and you Jews say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, and where are we supposed to worship? And Jesus turned the whole thing around, he said... The Father doesn't care about that. What the Father cares about is that you worship God in spirit and in truth. And he said, those who are truly worshipers of God will do that. And so if you want to honor God with your house, with your finances, then you need to get on your face before God and say, God, give me wisdom. What it is, what is it that you ask of me? Now, when my wife and I were younger, we had we were paycheck to paycheck people. I mean, we, we hardly ever had anything in the bank. And it was a struggle for us. Sometimes, literally, at one point in our life, we were taking a cash... I mean, we were paying our electric bill with our Visa card. And then we were taking a cash advance on our MasterCard so that we could put it on our Visa bill so that we didn't come up late on our Visa bill. But then we had to put a cash advance on our Visa to pay the MasterCard bill until payday came when we could finally pay that off. That's a scary way to live. But that's how we were living for a while. At some point in that life, in that timeline, I mean, in that time frame of our life, um, my wife and I had prayerfully discerned that God was asking us to give more than our 10%. Because we, we had established we were going to give 10% from our household income. But 
our church was having a special emphasis and we said we're going to give and we I think we said $60 every pay period over and above our 10% regular offering that we give. And we said to the Lord, this is a faith promise to you. This is not a commitment to do $60 every time. This is if we have it, we will give it. And so that's the way we said it to the Lord. We will give you the 10%, and as long as we've got it, we'll give you $60 over the 10% every time we get a paycheck. Then her mom had a heart attack. Then her father's only living sibling, only living relative, had a health crisis, and her father had to go help move her out of her home in Oklahoma down to Texas to be with family because she could no longer care for herself. But my mother-in-law was recovering from a heart attack and could not go on this trip. So my mother-in-law flew out to where we were living and stayed with us for two weeks. So this guy made the decision, we have an extra mouth to feed. We cannot afford to give that $60 extra. We'll still give our tithe. But we cannot afford to give a $60 over, over and above amount because we have this extra mouth to feed. And so we didn't. And after less than two weeks, for the very first time in months, we completely ran out of cash. And we completely ran out of groceries. And I needed to fill the tank in my truck, in my car. And I had to go to my mother-in-law and ask if we could borrow some money so that we could at least have milk and bread to feed her and the kids. And so she loaned us some money. And I was humiliated, and I felt stupid, and Renee and I talked about it, and we wept and prayed about it, and we told the Lord, we promised we'd pay him back as soon as we could, because you know what God said when I prayed? He said, Bob, you told me in a promise that as long as you had the money, you'd give it. Well, you had the money, but you chose not to give it. So I chose not to bless you. I mean, we had a deal, I thought, but you chose not to honor your part of it, so I wasn't obligated to honor my part of it. Well, it then came time, I have to repay this. Well, I used what was God's. According to the Levitical law, I now owe 120% of what was God's. So what's 120% of 60? I don't know the exact figure. Let's say $75. Now I have to come up with $75. Where am I going to get $75? Because we live paycheck to paycheck. Out of the blue, weeks later, out of the blue, I get a phone call from the district superintendent in the Mississippi district. And he said, Bob, the the church in Hattiesburg is uh, in in between pastors right now. Would you be willing to come up on a Sunday and, and preach for them? I'd be happy to. Now, nothing was said about money. I was excited about the possibility of preaching. So I drove up. Renee didn't come up, I don't think. I drove up the hour's drive up to Hattiesburg from where we were living. I met them at the church. I preached for them that morning. Then they asked me if I would stay, I mean, would come out to lunch with them. And they took me out to lunch at the University of Mississippi there at Hattiesburg. And then after that, we came back to the church that evening and had... uh, at the evening service and I preached and I was getting ready to say goodbye and pack up all my stuff and getting ready to leave to drive the hour and a half back home and this person came up and said oh brother Bob here and they handed me a check it was like a hundred or a hundred and ten dollars or something like that for my services 
I had never experienced, I didn't know I was supposed to get paid for preaching. This is cool. And I got home and I was like, honey, we got a hundred dollars. And she said, yeah, tithe. Okay, we got ninety dollars. We can do anything we want with ninety dollars. And she said, Bob, did you forget that you owe God seventy-five dollars? Well, that's not fair. And she said, think about it. God gave you a check for a hundred dollars. Your tithe is part of that. Now you got ninety dollars. You owe God seventy-five dollars. You still have fifteen to do anything you want with. Yeah, I got fifteen dollars. <laughs> but the lesson that I learned from that was: A, I had made an arrangement with God, and I reneged. B, God made it possible when it was impossible for me to repay my what I owed to God. And he gave me more than I needed, just as an added blessing. And that's been with me now since 1989. So it's been 30 years, part of who I am as I walk with Christ. I understand, I know that I know that I know that God desires of me an offering. I know that. What does he desire of me? That's between me, God, and my wife. But I will tell you, you don't normally see me write a check and put it in there because normally I give online. But I had missed the deadline for getting it online in order for the church to get the money for this month. And I was like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do because if I give it online, they're not going to get it until July. But the church really needs the money now, Lord, so we'll just write a check. I said, but God, if I write a check, then I don't get the airline miles. You don't get the airline miles, Bob? This is why you give? To get airline miles? No. I, I give because I love you. We're going to talk about that, Bob. But the point is this, and this is what I wanted to get to you guys this morning. If you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9... Immediately following that little passage that Paul was talking about, the reminder of the gift. In verse 6 and 7 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give As he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when people ask me, well, pastor, am I supposed to give 10% of my income? I tell them no. I say you need to ask God because God may ask you only for a dollar. But God may ask you for 90% of your income. And that's between you and God. Because God knows what you need. And God can provide for those needs. Even if you give him 100% of your income. And quite honestly, if you look at what Jesus said. Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart. With all of your soul. With all of your mind. With all of your strength. 
includes giving him all of your money. But sometimes he lets you hold on to some of it so that you can play with it if he wants to let you. See, the reality is it's all his. It's all his. If God asked you to move out of your house and give it to some homeless person, are you willing? If God asked you to give up your snow machine that you saved for two years to be able to purchase with cash, if God said, give it because it's needed elsewhere, would you be able to? If God said to you right now, I need you to give $10,000 right this minute, if you had it, would you? If you're struggling with a yes to any of those questions, you need to spend some time on your face before God. In the same way that I need to talk to him about my attitude about my airline miles. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with paying online and getting airline miles. There's nothing wrong with it. But when I have to make a decision whether or not I want the church to have the money by this time or by this time because I want to get my airline miles, now we've got an issue. Do you understand the difference? I don't preach on giving. I don't like preaching on giving. But God very clearly told me this week that someone needed to hear it, and that's why I'm giving it. And you can look at the 16 years that I've been here. I think in, 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 in two hands, I could probably count the number of times I've preached on giving and tithing and all of this, because it's just not what I think is important. I think that's between you and God. And God will convince you, if you listen, what God needs from you. And if you're faithful, then you'll be, in, you'll be in good stead with God. It's when you start balking and rebelling that we have an issue. And again, that's between you and God. So, anyway, let's pray.